we're trying to do a question um, get before the the teaching so that we can address questions about scriptures and things like that and then go right into the message afterwards. So if you want to come early at 930, I'm doing a better job of getting here at 930. So, okay, so what does it mean? What does it mean to um, to have if we had faith as a mustard seed? I know I've shared this before and you guys, some of you guys probably remember this, but um, it's a common scripture we hear all the time that if we had just if we had faith of a mustard seed, we could move mountains. And what does that mean? What is Jesus really saying? Now, most people teach that that means if you had just a little itty bitty bitty bit of faith, because the mustard seed is the smallest of all the seeds. That so, if you had just a little bit of faith, you can do a lot of things. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. If you remember, he talks about having great faith and little faith, and he he didn't he went you know he wanted the the disciples to move from little faith. To great faith. Remember how he was excited about the Gentiles who had great faith, the centurion who believed that he didn't have to even go into the house to heal his, his servant. I think it was a servant. So he, he said, just speak the word. I'm a man under authority. I know who you are. You're under authority. If you'll just speak the word, I know he'll be healed. You don't have to come to my house. And Jesus was amazed at this Gentile's faith and said, not, he turned to his disciples and said, not such great faith have I found in all of Israel. So God wants us to have great faith. So he's not teaching in that parable that if you have just a little bitty, bitty, bit of faith, then that's all you need to move mountains. He, he's not talking about that. He wants us to grow in faith. He, when the uh, disciples were afraid they were going to die and he stilled the storm, he said, oh, ye of little faith. Why did, why did you doubt? So he doesn't want us to have little faith. So he's not teaching us in that parable to have little faith. What he's teaching us is so awesome. It's, it's better than that. He's, he, the parable says this, and it's, it's quoted in several places in the gospel. It's easy, it's easy to search out and read all the uh, places where they, and I apologize, I don't have the site with me. I should have uh, got you the site, but you can search mustard seed and find it real quick. Um, it's in two or three of the gospels, and I would suggest reading all of them together because some of them leave out some of the words that he said, and you put it all together, it's really awesome. Okay, so what does it mean if we had faith of a mustard seed? Remember what Jesus said. He said it this way. He said, they said, first of all, they said, Lord, increase our faith. He was responding to the question of the disciples that said, increase our faith. How can we have more faith? And he turned to them and said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, be thou removed and it would obey you and be cast into the sea. Powerful statement. And then he told the story about the mustard seed. And this is where the secret is in the story of the mustard seed. He said, though the mustard seed be the littlest among all the seeds in the garden. And it is, if you've ever seen a mustard seed, it's tiny, tiny, tiny. I mean, it's really, it's almost like a grain of sand. It's so small. Jesus said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, though it is the smallest of all the seeds in the garden, yet... When it is fully grown, it is larger than all the other garden plants. So much so that the birds actually can rest in its branches like a little tree. And a mustard plant will do that. If you let it grow, it will just become a little tree in your garden. Far bigger than the tomato plants and the corn and all the other things you have in your garden. But it starts out so tiny. So what is the Lord saying there to us? The mustard seed... The key is when he says, if you had faith like a mustard seed. 
He didn't say if you had faith the size of a mustard seed. If you had faith like a mustard seed. What he was saying, saints, is think of the mustard seed as a person. He is personifying the mustard seed as if it's a person. Like like the mustard seed is a person over here. Say the mustard seed's name is Steve, say. Okay? He's saying if you had faith like Steve. You see that? He's saying if you had faith like a mustard seed. Okay, all right, that's cool. So what does that mean? It means the mustard seed, and this is the key. This is the key that he's telling us. The mustard seed is not detoured are distracted in his confidence in God by what he sees outwardly because he's the tiniest of all the other seeds. He is not looking at that which is seen. The mustard seed is not looking at that which is seen. The mustard seed is not saying, I'm so tiny, I can never be as big as the corn or the tomato seed or the watermelon seed. They're so big. I'm so tiny. I can never be much because they're so big. Those seeds are big. See, he's not looking at the scene. He's not looking at how tiny he is. What is he looking at? He's looking at who he is. He knows who he is on the inside. He knows that I'm a mustard seed. And everybody knows that when I'm fully grown... I want to be above the corn, above the tomatoes, above all these other garden plants because of who I am. Jesus is saying simply, if you had faith like a mustard seed, if you knew what was inside of you, if you knew who you were, in time, when he is fully grown, see, it's a growth process of growing in faith. Great faith, see, will be exhibited in our lives because we simply are resting in who we are in Him. Does that make sense? Isn't that cool? So think about that. He's saying if you had faith, hold hold that thought one second. If you had faith like a mustard seed, He's saying if you had faith as if the mustard seed was a person. If you had faith like this little seed over here who doesn't, who's not moved by the fact it's so tiny, doesn't care what it looks like outwardly because He knows what it is. He knows who He is. So, in time, it will, be, it will be manifested how great the power that is inside of him because he will be fully grown and above all the other garden plants. So that's, that's the lesson of the mustard seed. It's not, he's not talking about having a little bitty, bitty, bitty bit of faith. He's talking about a seed that doesn't care how tiny it may look. It knows what it is. And in time, it will be manifested what it is. So now enjoy who you are now and move mountains. Isn't that good? Awesome. So that's what that really means. Okay, I'm sorry, brother. Okay. The master seed, I believe it is, it's inside of us when we be told again. It's small and then increases by the word. The faith comes reading the word. The faith comes here, hear the word of the Lord. More you call him the word, the more the faith grows. Okay, let there's some truth to that. Let me share what, what was just said, and, and let me say it how I would say it, how I see it, okay? Because there's some truth to that. There's some truth to what you just said. It sure is. The statement, the statement was just made, and I love doing this because I want to show you how to really, in my opinion, how to look clearly at these things. 
The statement was just made, which is a lot of truth in it. The statement was just made that when we are born again, we're giving a little bit of faith, like a little mustard seed in us. And through study of the word, that's, that faith grows. Okay. There is, it is true that when we're, when we're born of the Spirit, we have faith, and our faith will be greater as, over time as we get more revelation of Jesus and who we are. That's, that's a true statement. But do you see what you're doing, though? You're actually going back to the old concept that the parable is about a little bit of faith. See, you're going back to the old concept of the mustard seed parable by saying when we're born again, we have a little bit of mustard seed faith and it grows. But, but that's not really what the parable is teaching. See, the parable is not teaching small faith. It's, talk, it's, not, it's not teaching small faith moves mountains. It's teaching mustard seed faith moves mountains. You see the difference? Mustard seed faith means he knows who he is. He knows what's inside of him. He's not looking on the outward. He's looking on the inside. See? See, small faith doesn't move mountains. Mustard seed faith moves mountains because a mustard seed doesn't care how tiny he is. He knows what's inside of him. He knows who he is. And so he can move mountains because of who he is and what's inside of him, not because how big the faith is or little the faith is. You see it? So don't go back in that trap. But you said a true truth. You said a truth using a, the wrong scripture. You, the truth you, used, you said was correct, that we have faith as we're, when we're born again, we have faith. And through revelation of Christ, we grow in faith. That's a true statement. Through the Word, through the Scripture, or through revelation, and through experience, and through the body of Christ? Yes. Yeah, but still. <laughs> but that's not the point. The, see, the point of the... I know. The point of that mustard seed parable is not that it gets bigger. That's just a manifestation later of what is, what is already there. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach, that... It's what's, you've got to see what's already inside of you. Have faith like a mustard seed has faith. See, that little mustard seed, in a sense he's saying that, that little mustard seed has faith. Because he doesn't care how little he is. He knows what's inside of him. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, yeah now, to, now to address another issue you brought up by bringing this, by speaking this. Okay, another good issue, another good um, he just, he just said that we all, have a, we all have a measure of faith. That comes from a, a verse um, in the scripture where I think it's Romans. We all have a, a measure of faith. Um, in context there, everybody thinks that that means we all have a measure. God gives us measures of faith. Okay. That's not what that's saying. Um, the truth is this. Every human being is, is born with the ability to believe. It's part of your you being a human being. See, if you could not believe, you couldn't exist as a human being. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you would not, every day, you'd be like a, a person who has short-term memories almost. You know, like, do I have a car? Do I have a car? Do I, oh, yeah, you look outside. Oh, yeah, I have a car. Will it start? I don't know. Oh, it starts. We believe we have a car. We believe it'll start. We don't even think about it. We believe we have a house. We go home to our home. We don't say, do I have a house? Is it still there? Do I believe it's still there? See, human beings are made to believe. Birds don't believe. Animals don't believe. There's no other creature on earth that believes. All the creatures move by instinct or emotion or stimulus, but they don't believe. Only humans believe. We were made in His image. God calls those things that are not as though they are. He believes. It's part of his image in you. So even though it's a marred image, every human being has the ability to believe. Some people believe the wrong thing. Some people believe the right thing. 
Some people believe the wrong thing and never get born of the Spirit because they believe a lie. And then there are those who believe the right thing. So the unbeliever can believe. They, they believe lies. And, the, and we used to believe lies, but now we believe the truth. But the belief was already there. So what does that verse mean when it says it's given unto every man a measure of faith? In the context there, when you read the whole context, he's talking about giftings in the body of Christ. He's talking about one, one who uh, prophesies, one who teaches, one who shows mercy. That's the context, okay? To each man is given, and then that's the verse that's translated the measure of faith. The Greek word measure there is not really measure in the Greek. If you look it up, it's not measure. It's sphere, sphere or realm, Each person in the body of Christ is giving a realm or sphere of faith as a gift from the Holy Spirit. In other words, you have more faith, for instance, to talk to doctors about Jesus than maybe I would or you would or someone else. You have more faith to talk to teachers or you have more faith. You have a sphere of influence. Each is given a sphere of faith. I have faith to get up and publicly speak and proclaim Christ. Another person may say, I don't have faith to do that. But I have faith to do an email to a brother who needs to know the truth. I have faith to write emails. I have, that's what has, everybody is given a sphere or realm of faith to minister their life, the life of Christ in. Isn't that cool? That's what that verse is saying, because in the context, it's talking about to one is given this, to one is given that, this, this, to another, this, to this, to the, you know, all these different things. And then it says to each one is given the measure or the sphere, a measure or the, a sphere of faith to work in. And it's easy. If it's really difficult, it's probably not your sphere of faith. You know, if it's it, I mean, if, if you say, for instance, you're not really into politics and you feel like you're supposed to run for the U.S. Senate and you're like, oh, my gosh, I could never run for the U.S. Senate. Well, you're probably not supposed to. But if you have this desire, you love politics, and you, you have a desire to, to be the salt and the light in the chambers at Washington, D.C., and, and people have been telling you through the years, you know, you ought to run, you ought to run, you have a heart for it, desire for it, you have wisdom about it, sphere, sphere. There's a sphere of faith that God has given you because you have a, a, you're being called in that sphere of faith to speak of him in that area. Does that make sense? Anyway, so that's what that verse really means. It's not that God gives measures of faith to certain people. To begin with, everybody has the ability to believe, and then as we become born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as He wills, the Scripture says, distributes the gifts according to His will, and there are different gifts, different manifestations, and different spheres. So that you can rest, you can relax, you don't have to do someone else's sphere. You know? That's your sphere. I'm all for you. I'll encourage you in your sphere. But this is what God has shown me. This is my sphere of faith. And I, and I love it. And I, I see fruit in it. And see? Isn't that cool? Awesome. Does somebody have a question? Yes. Two. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's... It, it, it's yeah, it's all part of that influence, a sphere of faith. Um, but it also could be more specific. Like, um, for instance, some people just have a greater faith to believe for healing, physical healing. It doesn't mean they have the gift of healing. They just have a sphere of, of uh, a realm where they really have a desire and a faith to believe for physical healing. So that would be a sphere of, of, of faith that they minister the gifts in. And keep in mind, saints, this. The scripture doesn't teach that any person has in the body of Christ the gift of healing. It doesn't teach that. It says that when you pray for someone and they get healed, they got the gift of healing. You see it? 
Jesus said that all my brothers and sisters shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. All of them. And guess who gets the gift of healing? The one who needs the healing. See, I had a lady just the other day in, in our church, our fellowship, come up to me and said, well, who, after, you know, after we had the prayer of people, uh, our, the, the saints, our brothers and sisters praying for people at the end of the service. And she, she said, um, well, who, who has the gift of healing here? I need a healing. And I said, well, I said, you can go to any one of these brothers and sisters. They'll be glad, you know, to pray for your, yeah, but it, who has the, the healing ministry? And I didn't want to have, you know, big discussion right there. And I was going, well, you know, God will heal through any of us. And, you know, and I, you know, and I, you know, and so, but she, she you could tell she had that, that mindset that, you know, there's got to be certain people in the body who have the gift of healing. Where are they? I want to find them so I can, no, saints, you, I know, I know, no, you, you have the Holy Spirit, the gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he moves as he wills. And Jesus says, Whosoever shall lay hands on the sick in my name, they shall recover. Every, anybody. And you can see in the book of Acts, there's not, there's not a single example in the book of Acts of a specialized ministry where they just do the healing. It's not there. It, yeah, it's not there. You have healing happening through all the believers everywhere. As well as prophecy, as well as, you know. And God, God sometimes uses us in more ways than others in different giftings. But that doesn't mean that we have the gift of healing. It means that God has given you a sphere of faith where you believe for healing and people receive the gift of healing that the Holy Spirit gives through you. Isn't that awesome? It, it actually releases the body of Christ just to be free, to, to be who you are, and let the Spirit move through you and don't feel like you have to fit into some category. God's bigger than that. And, and when, when all of us see that, that he can use us in any way he pleases by the Spirit of God, and that because of our personalities and because of the way he has made us, there may be spheres, and there will be spheres that we're used more often than others, then we, we delight in that because that's what he's given me to do. But we release everybody to, to let the Spirit lead you. And it's awesome. This is, this is what is so cool about the Holy Spirit because he himself is the one who chooses and manifest as he wills, the scripture says, not as we will. It's awesome. So, believe for the impossible. Be, have faith like a mustard seed. And those who came in a little bit late, just real quick, the parable of the mustard seed, this was the question of the day, the question of the week. The parable of the mustard seed teaches, not that if you have a little bit of faith you can move mountains, but the, the parable of the mustard seed teaches that if you had faith like a mustard seed, as if the mustard seed was a person, if you had faith like a mustard seed, who didn't care how little it looked outwardly, but knew what was inside him, who knew what he was, who knew that when he's fully grown, he's going to be bigger than all the other seeds in the garden because he'll tower above all of them because he knew who he was. Jesus is saying that's the kind of faith you need to have. Don't worry what it looks like. Realize who you are. Realize what's inside of you. You can move mountains. Yes. Awesome. Stretch out. Sphere. Stretch out. Awesome. Stretch out. See, that's it. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah, when it's fully grown. The life, when we really see who we are, we will stretch out in our sphere. So it kind of goes together, you know, and be who we are in the spirit. Awesome. Okay. All right. hope that was an encouragement to you. Let's, I'd like to continue on this. Last Sunday, we talked about how the mind is renewed. 
And I've got a few more thoughts I want to share on that. There's so many thoughts to share on that, but I want to continue on that today, if you will, and we'll see where it takes us, um, how the mind is renewed. Awesome, awesome reality. Okay, you ready, mustard seeds? Yes. (laughs) You know who you are? You know what's inside of you? Yes, yes, sir. Yes, that's the most important thing. Whom we are. Not so much who we are, but whom we are. Because, because of whom we are, we belong to God. Then God is inside of us. Awesome. Cool. Lord, we just ask you again to help us see things that are not of earth, not of men. Father, I thank you that the Spirit of God is inside of us to teach us. So true that we need no man teach us, but the anointing which abides within us shall lead us into all truth, and we shall abide in you. Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you for your gentleness. Thank you for an open heaven. Thank you for blue skies. Thank you that the sacrifice of your only son has truly taken away the sin of the world. Thank you, Father, for this union, this awesome union. The Son in the Father, Father in the Son, the Son in us, and we in the Son. One. So awesome. For you have loved us with an everlasting love, And with loving kindness, you have drawn us to yourself. Thank you, Lord. Now, Father, help us see the height and the width and the breadth and the depth of your love. For only then will we be filled with the fullness of God according to the power that works within us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we come in the authority of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Last Sunday we talked about the renewal of the mind. And one thing we mentioned was a very important thing to understand, I think, is that the brain is not the same as the mind. It's a very important thing to to remember. The brain is not the same as the mind. God just touched several of you this morning. In that prayer, he really wants to hold you. He really wants to hold you. Awesome. Okay, the brain and the mind are two different things. And we know that to be true because when you die, when the body dies, I don't like to say when you die because you'll never die. (laughs) 
Jesus said, he who believes on me has already passed from death and into life, and they shall never die. And that's the truth, because you are now a son and daughter of the Most High. You are from heaven, from above, and you are returning to your home. Jerusalem above is your mother. You have eternal life abiding within you now, John says. So you have eternal life abiding within you because of the life of God that's abiding within you. You're not from below, but from above. You are a son and daughter of God, an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ. You will never die. Just deal with it. <laughs> Just deal with the fact that you, your future is bliss. Your future is amazing, indescribable glory. Just deal with it, okay? No matter how bad you want to get down, just deal with the awesome joy that is in you. It's amazing. Uh, okay. So, we know the body will die, but we will never die. So, the brain is a part of this body, of this creation. You know, Hebrews talks about how we are no longer of this creation as a new creation. So, the body will die, the brain will die, but the mind will not die. The, mi- the mind is part of the real you And so the mind will be in heaven along with the rest of you as your body is on earth. Okay. That's why we have trouble sometimes seeing clearly heavenly things. Because we have a brain of this creation and the spirit has to, if you want to look at it that way, the spirit has to work through the brain and so, if this, is like, if this is like an eye, it's kind of a weird person. <laughs> but we see in part, we're seeing of the natural world over here with this natural eye. But our inner eye, our eye of the heart, the new heart, is seeing different things. And so, we're, we're seeing things from within differently. So we see in part because this is coming, this interference is coming. And because we have a brain that is of this creation with old thinking and old memories and things of this world in the brain. So you have this new light that's coming through. And keep in mind when this body dies now, it'll be just the brain over here by itself in a dead body and the real you free. Okay, But right now, we're together. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power is clearly seen to be of God and not of ourselves. So we see in part, because we have natural stuff coming at us, we have memories of the past, we think like men think because that's what we used to be, so we have to rethink how we see things, how we think. We see in part, and we prophesy in part, like this is a mouth, say. We prophesy in part. We speak things not totally perfectly because we have this interference from the natural and from the brain. We speak in part. Because God may be saying through Jonah, tell them I love them. Tell them I want to forgive them. Tell them I will, I will completely forgive them. Tell them to turn from the darkness. Tell them my heart yearns for them. 
Tell them I, I even know how many children are in the city that don't know their right hand from their left. Tell them I even love the animals. There, there are many animals in Nineveh. Tell them I love them. Jonah, go. Tell them. Okay, this is what God's speaking to Jonah, right? But through this prophet's brain who hates the Ninevites because they're always giving the Jews a hard time, who does not want to see them forgiven, that awesome message from the love of God comes out like this. Yeah, 40 days and you're all toast. Yet 40 days and you'll all be destroyed. He didn't even say, he didn't even say, if you repent. He didn't even give him a choice. That wasn't God's pure message. God's message was, I love them. Tell them to turn from their ways. I want to forgive them. I want to heal. I want to bless them. But through Jonah, the angry prophet, the message was distorted and came out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. What is that? Then he goes up on the mountain to wait for it. Because he can't wait to see him destroyed. And then God has to deal with his prophet and say, Jonah. And he, you know, the whole story about how he shows Jonah his heart. Jonah, Jonah. You were, you know, he does a little plant thing and Jonah's all mad because the plant dies. He gave him a little shade and he's like mad at God for letting the plant die. And, and God was just doing that to set it up for him so he could say... Jonah, you're more angry about that plant dying than all these people. You are, you are going to bat for that plant. You are storming the throne of God for that plant and demanding, why did you let that plant die? But you, Jonah, are waiting eagerly to see the death of thousands of of my lost creation. And many don't even know their right hand from the left, a reference to children. And there are many animals, Jonah. His last word in the book of Jonah is animals. Many animals. That's the tender heart of God. There are many donkeys, Jonah. There are many dogs. There are many cats. There are many little mice. That's God. He loves all his creation. That's the tenderness of God. And Jonah just wants him wiped out. So many times what God is saying comes out distorted because we see in part, we prophesy in part. Now, the day that we are separate from our body, the scripture says when we are released from this body, we will know all things as we are known immediately. All things immediately. So that it's not a process of learning it's a process of complete download with no hindrance. You see? God is downloading right now everything as, as we're able to receive it. But we can't receive it fully because of the infirmity of our flesh. The weakness of the body. Can't take it. But he's trying to download in the spirit as much as possible, as fast as possible. And what I want to talk to briefly about today is how to receive God's download in these bodies. Or how is the mind renewed is another way of saying it. But when you're, from, when you're free from the body, we're going to know all things as we are known instantly because there will be no hindrance. And the download will be complete. It's so cool. And the reason why he can download everything now to, to us as he's doing, us, do, doing it to us or for, or for us 
is because he has made you holy. He has made us holy. He has made us holy. He has joined us to himself. So he's, he's, we now have the mind of Christ, and the mind of Christ is downloading and renewing us. Okay, cool. Let's look at this real quick, if you would. Um, isn't this exciting? I mean, God's ways are not our ways. Gosh, I need your help again. Can you guys, where is that verse that says in the Corinthian letter um, that our weapons of, of warfare are not carnal but mighty in the, in the pulling down of strongholds? Is it 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians? For our, our weapons are not. Second Corinthians, ten four. Awesome. That's it. Thank you so much. Second Corinthians ten four. Second Corinthians. Let's go to ten three. We'll start at ten three. Second Corinthians ten three. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Now here, when he says walk in the flesh in that context, he's not talking about walking in the power of sin flesh. He's talking about when we walk in the body, you know, fleshly body. You know, because we're in the body, we don't war with our body. We don't punch evil with our fist. We don't, we don't, we're not those who beat the air, so to speak. We're not trying to fight this spiritual battle in a natural way is what he's saying. Okay, let's, let's look at this. For though we walk in the flesh, though we are in these bodies, we do not war according to the flesh or according to the natural way of fighting battles. Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, not of the flesh, not of the body, not of the natural, is what he's saying there, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Now, on verse 5, you'll see in your scripture, this is the New American Standard, which I recommend the New American Standard, same translation that Clark uses and that Bill uses, because as we've said before, the NIV, if you have the NIV, really recommend you get a, a New American Standard, because the NIV has not translated many of the verses. They put their own doctrine in their translations, and it, you could lose really some rich meaning in the scripture through the NIV. One big example is Romans 7, when they translate flesh sinful nature instead of just flesh. And so that's how they, because they believe that the believer has two natures. And so from that Romans 7, you could think you have two natures when you really don't have two natures. So that's a really big, big, big deal. So I would recommend not using the NIV, but use the, um, the, American, the New American Standard Bible is what I recommend. But anyway, so in verse 5, you'll notice that the first two words are in italics. Most people say, read it this way. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay? In verse 5, the we are's are not in the Greek. And if you have a New American Standard, you'll see the we are in, it's, it's in italics. 
And the reason why it's in italics is because it's not in the Greek manuscript. It's not in the Greek language. So if you read it without the we are, you just read it. We have, going back to verse 4, we have, our, our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay? So what it's saying there is that the, the gospel itself, the gospel, the good news itself works within us to destroy fortresses in our old way of thinking. In our old way of thinking. The gospel itself, the good news, the revelation of the finished work of Christ. Okay, And look what it does. It destroys speculations. We have a lot of speculations about God that are not true. Speculations about God that are not true. The Spirit of God, the true message of the finished work of Christ will destroy false speculations about God. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Lofty meaning a proud uh, view of, of God. It, it, like, like, in other words, like the Pharisees had a proud view um, in that they thought God, uh, were, God was looking for uh, obedience and that they were more righteous than the next person because you know, God loved them more than the next person because they were doing all the right things right. A lofty view of God means a prideful view that sees God as one who is um, uh, giving you righteousness according to your works. It's a self-righteousness that says, hey, I, I, I'm holier than that person because that person does these things and I don't do those things. That's a lofty, wrong view of God that says, that I'm better than the next person when, when Jesus said, no, it's the person who recognizes their need of God that is justified in God's sight. And the Pharisee who says, I'm glad I'm not like this sinner, um, doesn't, doesn't get it. But the gospel will take these thoughts away. And then it says, in taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We've, we've had that verse taught us that you have to work this. You have to work the word and work it and work it and work it. You know, we are taking captive. We are Casting down strongholds. We are, and that's not even in the Greek, the we are part. Um, the reason why we think that is because we think that we're supposed to be doing all of this. The truth is, Jesus taught about the gospel being received as a seed that begins to take root and bear fruit. And the man rose night and day, and the fruit came forth, and he knew not how it came forth, for the earth brings forth fruit of herself. So as we rest in what Jesus has done, the power of God works in us to renew our mind to show us our Father as He really is. The knowledge of God is the key in this verse. The knowledge of God, see? Casting down vain speculations, the wrong view of God and the true view of who God is. Okay, if you would look at this um, Let's look at uh, Ephesians, if you would. Let's go to Ephesians. In chapter 4.
Ephesians 4. Yeah, Ephesians 4, and look at verse, let's go to, let's start at verse 17. Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord. So Paul is saying this, and the Lord is saying this. That you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind. In other words, in the way they view reality, or the way they think. Don't walk in the way they think anymore, the way, they, the, way the world sees things. Verse 18, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Right, that's a description of an unbeliever who does not have the life of God in them, and they don't, they don't see God as He really is. They have a view of life that is contrary to truth, and really, you can't, you can't even begin to understand life until you know who God is. If you don't know who God is, your views on life are all wrong. If you don't know who God is, your view about yourself is all wrong. So unless you know who God is, you can't make sense out of life, nor can you make sense out of yourself, nor can you make sense out of anything. So the whole thing goes back to who God is. Do I know him? They were and so were we before we were born of the Spirit. We were darkened in our, in our understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that was in us before we were born of the Spirit, because of the hardness of their heart. Their heart was hard. That was that stony heart the Scripture talks about. See, the hard heart of stone, there was no life in it. But when we were born of the Spirit, God took out the heart of stone, gave us a heart of flesh, so to speak, living heart, and gave us a new heart, new spirit, and so forth. So now we had light, understanding like never before. Remember how Jesus said, if you follow Him... If we follow him, we shall have the light of life. The light of life. What that is, saints, is the life that is now in us. The life emanates light. The only way you can get revelation of the Father is to be joined to his life. The light of life. So the light that comes from life, as we abide in that reality that his life is within me, a new light comes to our mind. That's the renewal of the mind. But it comes from the life. Okay, look at this, saints. This, verse 19. And they, speaking of the unbelievers, they have become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Now, this is just what natural people do. That's, what, that's who they are. That's what they do. You know, like the old story of the, uh, the gator who took the frog across the, you know. Yeah, or was it the scorpion or... Okay, well, I might, have the, I might have the animals wrong, but basically I have the... Oh, frog and a scorpion. Oh, okay, okay, the frog took the scorpion, right. Okay, I had the gator taking the frog. Um, I'm probably thinking about LSU in Florida coming up. Anyway, um, yeah, it's the frog that took the scorpion. The frog has taken the scorpion. You know, the scorpion, uh, the frog says, hey, I'll help you. You, know, you need to get across the pond, across the lake. And so the scorpion says, oh, good, thank you so much. And so the scorpion got on the back of the frog, and the frog swims across the lake. And then the scorpion, as he gets on the other side of the lake, the scorpion stings him. And the frog says, what the heck? Why would you do that? I, I just helped you. I just took... And um, basically the story is, yeah, the scorpion says, I'm a scorpion. That's what I do. But he had promised not to. Right. Oh, he had promised not to. See, I don't know the story. Oh, that's, oh, that really makes it more powerful. And then he's like, I'm not going to do what I promised. 
promise, I promise. But then he does it anyway. And the frog is like, You're, what did you do now? We're both dying like you said we would. And he's like, I couldn't help it. It's my nature. See, that's good. Isn't it amazing? I think it's Aesop. Aesop. That's, that makes the story more powerful. Yeah, he's like promising. I won't do it. I won't do it. But... Yeah, like, Right, right, right. It's, it's the nature of the scorpion. So anyway, um, so, anyway, so that's what he's saying here, that um, they are giving themselves over to sensuality and every kind of impurity because that's who they are and that's who we were. You know, that's, and, and that's why we shouldn't walk after the flesh anymore as believers in the, in the bad sense of that word because that's not who we are. And that's, you know, and, and really, and if someone doesn't, if, let me just as a footnote real quick, if someone doesn't respond to your gospel and say, well, that sounds like we can just go do whatever we want to do and walk in the flesh and sin all we want. That grace may abound. If people don't respond that way to your message of the gospel, then you're probably not preaching the pure gospel. Because that's how they responded to Paul. When Paul preached the pure gospel, they, people responded. The initial response from the natural mind is, well, this sounds like we can just do whatever we want and God's going to forgive us. And, of course, the answer is no, that's not the truth, obviously, because if you're not that person anymore, how can you live in that which you have died to, Paul says, see? So, but that comes to a person by revelation. That's God's secret. It's not, they don't stop doing things because of a commandment or a law. They stop doing things because of a new nature. Yes. Awesome, a new nature. And, and keep in mind, saints, that another little footnote here. God, we are in union with God and we have a new nature which, will, which will, will begin to bear more and more fruit as we abide in Him. We have a union with Him and a new nature, not because we have stopped sinning, but because God has stopped counting sin. See, that's the gospel. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. In this new covenant, I'll remember your sin no more. I'll be merciful to all your iniquity. See? So we have this new nature. We have this growing awareness of our union with Christ. Not because we have stopped sinning, but because God has stopped counting sins. Isn't that awesome? Okay, awesome. Okay, let me finish real quick. Um, Okay, let's, let's, let's get to the good news. Verse 20. But he says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. Verse 21. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, or in the Greek, by him, have been taught by him, just as truth is in Jesus. Or the word truth there is the reality is in Jesus, the reality. Verse 22. Now, before I go to be past this, this is so rich. You see what he's saying here? He's talking as if Jesus is their teacher. He's talking as if Jesus is alive and well and teaching them. This is Ephesians. This is way after the ascension, years after the ascension. He's saying, you did not learn this from Christ if you have heard him and have been taught by him. Isn't that awesome? The promise of the new covenant is that they will no longer say, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least to the greatest. The promise of the new covenant is that God shall teach us all. They shall be taught of God, the scripture says. See, in the old covenant of law, God was not inside of them. 
And so they were, the parents were told to t- teach your children in the morning and at noon and at night the commandments of God, the decrees of God. Teach them, know the Lord, know the Lord, know this about the Lord, know this, know this, know this, know the Lord, know the Lord. And so a big thing in the Jewish culture was to teach the children to know the Lord. This is what he's like. This is what he did. This is what he does. This is know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord. The scripture says that they will come with a new covenant where they will no longer say, know the Lord, know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least to the greatest. The greatest in the old covenant were the prophets, the priests, the kings who were anointed with the Spirit of God. They saw, like David, things about God that other in the, in the masses didn't see because of the Spirit that was given to them that rested upon them, but not inside them in a regenerative way, but just rested upon them. That's why David would pray, take not your Holy Spirit from me, because he could. That's why the Spirit left Saul. It left Saul. The anointed king Saul, the Spirit left him, the Scripture says. Then he was given over to demonic influences and stuff. But not in the New Covenant. See? So now we have the Spirit of God in us, and we can, be, we can hear from the Father directly by the Spirit of God. It's the promise. It's, it's the awesome promise of the New Covenant. The Apostle John said, You need no man teach you, but the anointing which abides within you shall lead you into all truth. Take advantage of this awesome, awesome provision of the new covenant that you don't have to go to a man or a woman. He says here, if you've you've heard Jesus and been taught by him, then you know this is not the way to live in this selfishness of the old life. See? Okay, let me wrap it up here. I know it's getting close. Isn't this awesome? I tell you, it's so cool what God has done. Verse 22, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. See, the old man is dead. But if we walk after the flesh, the power of sin in the body, it brings a corruption. That's why Galatians says if you sow to the Spirit, sow to the spirit you have life. But if you sow to the flesh, you have corruption. It doesn't say judgment, but corruption. See, the, the renewal of the mind happens all the time we're, we're sowing to the Spirit, which means setting our minds on things above, which means beholding the invisible, which means resting in Him, which means receiving His love. When you're doing that, the download is happening. The download is happening. Okay. Now, when we walk after the flesh and we get in, into a fleshly, uh, carnal way of thinking and acting, you know, losing patience with someone, getting mad at someone when they really, it's not really a spiritual uh, response, but it's more of a fleshly response, whatever, what happens is the download slows down. Corruption enters in. So you don't really have the renewal going on that was, hap- that was happening over here. It doesn't mean you're not any less a son, any less righteous, any less holy. But it's the process of the renewal. Pro- the process of the renewal of the mind happens as we're, our mind is set on heavenly things. So when your mind is not on heavenly things, when your mind is set on fleshly things and sinful things and bad, you know, evil things, guess what? The, the, uh, first of all, the spirit is saddened. There's a sense of sadness. And there's, and there's a sense of, uh, like, you're off kilter because that's not who you are. And then what happens is corruption begins to, to move into the, to thinking. And you can have wrong thoughts about God and everything because it's not the pure download. But the moment you step in the spirit, you go, no, I'm not going to think on that. I'm going I'm to think on this. And all of a sudden, shoo, download continues from the spirit, from the heavenlies. Does that make sense? And the more we abide in the heavenlies, the more it enforced is the revelation so that when you step in the flesh, it's like, no, man, that's, that's not me. You know, it's like getting bit by a snake and you shake it off into the fire. You move on. It's awesome, like Paul did. Okay. Okay, verse, verse 23. And we'll wrap it up. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There it is. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, your new mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man, which is in the, in the likeness of God, 
or which is in God, the likeness of God is not in the Greek, but just say the new man is in God, has been created in righteousness and holiness. The word of can be translated by, it could be by or of, but by, I like by, righteousness and holiness by the truth. So the creation happened by the truth. And what were you created in? You were created in righteousness and holiness. Isn't that awesome? And then he goes down and talks about some practical stuff, how it looks. What does it look like? Now, see, people take those verses that talk about what it looks like. Verse 25, 26, 27, 28, 29. talks about don't steal, uh, don't be angry without a reason, uh, uh, you know, work with your hands, that which is good, don't be lazy, uh, don't let un- unwholesome words proceed out of your mouth. People take those verses where Paul is describing what the life looks like and they make them commandments to keep. He's describing the fruit. This is the fruit of the Spirit. He's just saying this is what happens when you are taught by Jesus and your mind is renewed and you allow this powerful gospel to pull down vain speculations and wrong thinking about God that the life will get out and this is what it will look like. Isn't that cool? So you don't, take his, you, don't, you don't take his description of an orange tree. You don't take his description of an orange tree and says, and it, where he says it will be a nice orange. Um, it will be orange on the outside. Um, it'll be very sweet on the inside, very juicy. Okay, he's describing an orange tree. Okay, now you take those descriptions. You don't take that description of an orange tree and say, okay, and you have your own little orange tree, say, in your backyard. And you go to, you go to your little orange tree and you go, okay, I just heard what an orange is supposed to look like. And you go to your orange tree, you go, you have the responsibility, responsibility to make these orange things, these orange balls that Paul was describing. Uh, they're supposed to be juicy on the inside, sweet, and they're supposed to have a color orange on them. You have a responsibility to do that because Paul said that's what you're supposed to do. No. Who does that? No. You, you plant the tree. It's not a, see, the issue is not a responsibility to do. It's a revelation of who you are. So Paul's describing the fruit of what comes forth from the believer. So don't take the instructions. Don't take the descriptions of what it looks like as commandments to keep. They are a revelation of what's inside of you. Awesome. Okay, we'll we'll talk more later, but there's so much more I want to talk about how seeing the knowledge of God, the knowledge of the Father, is so key to our renewal. Abba. Papa. Papa. Lord, thank you so much for showing us your heart. And showing us your ways. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are your ways different from man's ways. Thank you for giving us patience with ourselves as the new mind is breaking forth through an old brain. We do have this treasure in earthen vessels, weak earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power is clearly seen to be of you, Lord, and not of ourselves. Lord, thank you for your encouragement. You say, do do not be afraid. Come to me. Look at me. Behold me. Behold the glory of God in the face of the Christ. And see, mysteriously enough, something like a mirror. For as you look at me, you will see yourself. Behold, I have created you in righteousness and holiness. By the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Amen.